Well, happy Easter, everybody. How you guys doing? Fantastic, fantastic. Hey, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us. Hey, starting next week, and we're having a brand new series called Relationship Goals. And this is what I know is that all of us have some goals in our relationships, and, and all of our relationships can always be better. And no matter where you are, whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you're married, you're just talking about friendships, I believe that God has some things to say about our relationships. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about that. So I want to encourage you, come back next week. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it, so you don't want to miss it. So today is Easter. Anybody excited about Easter? A yeah. couple of you guys are excited about Easter. I don't know about y'all. But when I was growing up, Easter was kind of had two parts to it. And so there was a, a get-to part of Easter, and there was a have-to part of Easter. And uh, the get-to part of Easter was all about chocolate and eggs and family and Easter egg hunts and food. And the have-to side of Easter was all about going to church. Anybody, anybody kind of have that dilemma in their household today? And, and I loved the get-to part of Easter, like the get-to part of Easter was absolutely incredible. And uh, in fact, I, I brought some kind of Easter basket here with me today. Uh, and I just want to do a quick survey. How many of you all, like your favorite Easter candy was like a Cadbury egg, like Cadbury eggs was your jam. Come on, Cadbury egg people. A couple of y'all out there. I think these things are the grossest things in the world. Like just nasty. In fact, uh, I have some metal fillings in my mouth. And I'll tell you what, you want to have a resurrection Sunday, get some of this foil in your mouth and bite down on it. You will resurrect right there. Like it will light you up. Uh, anybody a fan of peeps? How many peeps are your candy for Easter? Like, yeah, every, everybody loves some peeps, right? Where are the peep lovers? Show, show me where you at. Okay. There's a peep for you. There's a peep way up there. There's a peep right there. Like <laughs> peeps, these things, these things are interesting, aren't they? I mean, like, listen, you go put a peep out in your yard for 30 days, it will turn to concrete. So go ahead, put this in your digestive tract, and uh, we'll see what happens with it. So uh, we got peeps all over the place. But my favorite of all things was the chocolate Easter bunny. Come on, give it up for all my chocolate Easter bunny people. Nothing better than a chocolate Easter bunny, and I love it when they're this big. I mean, this just like makes the Easter bunny that much better. Now, the problem is, is they keep ripping us off. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This junk is hollow. What's up with that? What happened to like solid chocolate? Like, can we not afford? I mean, this thing, this thing costs like 10 bucks. They can't even fill it up. Like, they just got to give me a hollow chocolate bunny. And so a lot of us, we're going through life, and, and it's a lot like that, and hollow chocolate bunnies and stuff. So, uh, but... So that was the get-to part of Easter, and, and I love that part of Easter, but there was a have-to part, and the have-to part was all about church, and I, I remember that, you know, church was always kind of this weird thing. We would, we would get dressed up in clothes that we, we would never wear, and they would be not comfortable, and my mom would threaten me. Anybody else have that experience? Like, you better be good at church or else. And you know the or else was that meant that I wasn't going to get candy. And so there, there was always this threat. And, and so we'd go in and they would sing the weird songs and they'd talk about things that I didn't really understand. And, and the entire time I'd be just towing the line, just trying to be good so that when I got done with church, I got some candy. 
Some of you guys, you're still doing church that way. You're just 50 years old, and you're just hoping when you get home, mom approves again. And it's kind of a sad thing, but a lot of us, we go through life like that. But as I got a little bit older, uh, you know, it, it wasn't so much about the candy and the Easter bunny and the eggs and the food. And while those things were good, uh, church was still kind of this mystery to me. And I would, I would come and I would listen, and I didn't necessarily get all the stuff about Jesus and the resurrection but, but I knew that I wanted God on my side. You know, I, I, I was down for that aspect of it. And because I would just look around and I would realize that our world is messed up. Like it doesn't take very long watching the news to realize that, man, there's a lot of garbage going on. And it's really easy to look at religion and go, man, is religion really about love? Or is it really about like people hating and killing each other? Like what's the deal there and I can remember just being kind of confused in that season, just like, what, what, what is the deal with all of this? And, and Easter really, really was this mystery to me. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've walked into here today, and, and, and maybe Easter for you has, with church, has been a have-to thing. And, and what God really wants to do is he wants to turn it from a have-to thing to a get-to thing and maybe maybe you're struggling because you're still on the half to side of the the church equation rather than the get to side of the equation and you walk in here with all kinds of doubts you walk in here with all kinds of questions you walk in here with all kinds of thoughts and ideas of what you have and what this all means and 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 maybe you aren't quite sure how to put it all together and figure it all out today but you know for me in my own life over time I saw faith it's not something I simply had to engage in, but something I, I got to engage in. And when I started engaging in my faith, it started radically changing my life because I was going through a season of time where I, I had some addictions in my life and it caused a lot of brokenness and it caused a lot of hurt and it caused a lot of distrust. And, and all of a sudden, faith healed me from that addiction. Faith helped me restore some of those relationships and faith helped me to grow as an individual and as a person. And so faith had this huge impact on my life and started grounding me in something solid. And, and now, as a person of faith, I, I, I don't walk around thinking like I've got life all figured out and I'm perfect and everybody else is not. What I have figured out is that I don't really know much, but I know one who knows it all. And while I don't have life necessarily all figured out, I do know the one that has figured it all out. And while I'm not better than anybody else, man, I'm going to love other people the same way that I've been loved in Jesus Christ so they can experience the same thing that I'm experiencing today. And so today what I want to do is I want to just take a look back. We're going to go back to Luke chapter 24, and we're going to look at how we can move from this Easter as a have-to thing to this get-to in our lives. And there's some pretty amazing things that we get to experience because of Easter. And so in Luke chapter 24, if you want to turn in your Bibles there, if you don't have a Bible, you can look in your worship guide. If you didn't happen to pick one of those up on the way in, all the scripture will be up on the screen. Let me kind of give you the backstory of what's happening here. Jesus has just been crucified on the cross. He has died. They've, they've put him in the tomb. He's dead. And they've put the stone in front of it. And for the disciples, the people that have been following him for the last three years, they're, they're just in this state of like, what in the world is going on? Like all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our uh, life has just been crushed because they had no idea what was about to happen. And maybe you're a little bit like those disciples today. 
Maybe you've been out there and you've put all your hopes and dreams in a relationship and all of a sudden that thing has crumbled and you're crushed. Maybe you've put a lot of your life into a job and you thought, man, if I could just achieve here and all of a sudden that job is no more. Or you've started a business and all of a sudden you're in this place of where you're like, man, what the heck is going on? Like, this can relate to you. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1, it says, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. And they were taking spices because this was the Jewish tradition for preparing of a body. It says they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. And and by the way, when you read the Bible, uh, a lot of times when angels appear to people, they appear in the form of other people. It's not like a Hallmark card where they just show up with flapping wings and a halo. Like they show up and they got style. It says they had dazzling robes. Like they got bedazzled, okay? They are like rolling. It said the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. That's some good news today. He's risen from the dead. And there is so much in this story. And I think it's interesting that Luke points out that women went to the tomb because the status of women in that day was not the status of women today. They were very looked down upon. And, and a lot of historians, they, they, one of the things that creates validity to this story is the fact that Luke points out that women were the one that found the tomb empty because if Luke really was making this up, he would have never said that women found the tomb. He would have, if he was making up this story, he would have said men would have found the tomb because men held credibility, they held status. And so the very fact that he says, listen, the women went there and they realized that, the, that he wasn't there just creates validity to this story. And so the women from that tomb go and tell the disciples of their experience and what happened. And, and it's amazing that as you read this story, that this carpenter 2,000 years ago that lived in some obscure town in Israel is still impacting our world today. That, That thousands upon hundreds upon millions of people are gonna meet today and create traffic jams because of this guy. That this guy literally changed time from B.C. before Christ to A.D. Ado Domini, the year of our Lord. Like how impactful was this man? And I believe that if we really want to experience uh, the resurrection and what it's all about in our lives and, and move Easter from this have to experience to this get to experience, there's a couple things that we've got to realize. We've got to realize and experience, number one, that we can receive a new life that we can receive a new life. And that's what Easter is all about. It's about a new life in Christ. And I don't know if you're like me, but I'm, I'm one of those people in life that is good adjusting to my problems rather than dealing with them. Anybody else like kind of like that? Like I'm really, really good at adjusting to them rather than really taking care of them and dealing with them. And, and let me explain. Um, over the last couple of months, we, we have these, these church offices they're in Pompano Beach. And downstairs, the, the main bathroom for all of our stuff that happens downstairs. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was in the restroom. And I, 
I was in there, and the handle came off while I was going to the bathroom when I was trying to get out. And I don't know if you've ever had the handle come off in the bathroom, uh, but it makes it very, very difficult to get out because you can't turn the strike to open up. So, like, I'm stuck in the bathroom. I, I figure out how to jerry-rig it to get it back on the, the handle so I can open it up and leave. And so, since I jerry-rigged it to work, I left it like that, you know? That's what I do. And then, like, uh, about a week later, um, Shayla is at the offices, and she's using the restroom downstairs, and everybody else is upstairs. And uh, pretty soon, I get a phone call because the door handle is broken off, and she's stuck in the bathroom. And I'm like, well, that sucks for you. And I just, like, hung up. No, I'm just... And she, I remember coming downstairs and opening up the door, and she's like, the handle broke. What are we going to do? And I'm like, well, I know what we'll do. And so I grabbed a piece of tape, and I kind of taped the strike down so that we could shut the door because it has, like, a lock up top. And so I'm like, that way we can open and close it. And, uh, like, it doesn't matter. Rather than fix my problem, I just started adjusting to it. But over time, that tape started wearing off and started poking out and trapping people in there. And so I put another piece of tape over it. And pretty soon, I had, like, a note on the door that says, handle is broken if, in case you weren't that obvious to see that there wasn't a handle there. And, and, and so it went weeks like this and weeks like this. And finally, like it broke off another time and, and like people were just frustrated. And so I'm like, dang it, I'm fine. I finally, I was like, I'm going to fix the door handle. And so I just stole a door handle off of another door and put it there. <laughs> I'm really great at adjusting to my problem rather than fixing it. Like, that's funny when it comes to door handles and being stuck in a bathroom. The problem is, is that a lot of us do that spiritually. We have some experiences in life that hurt us. We have some failures in relationships. We have uh, some disappointments with our family that it didn't go the way that we thought it was going to go. We have some distrust because somebody was mean to us or said hurtful things, and we, we harbor this bitterness and this anger, and sometimes it even escalates to this point of rage in our lives and we we carry wounds towards others because of other people that have hurt us and and what happens in life is all those things is instead of dealing with those things instead of taking care of our problem we just start taping it up and just hoping that like it'll take care of the problem and some of us we tape it up with an addiction or we tape it up with an unhealthy relationship or we tape it up with some destructive behavior and before long we just keep taping it up thinking that it's never going to trap us again and see the bible teaches that all of us get trapped by this thing called sin and this thing sin weighs us down. And what sin literally means is it means that we miss God's mark. Because God has a mark. He has a purpose and plan for every single one of our lives. Like he has some goals and some aspirations and some desires for your life. You were created on purpose and for a purpose and with a purpose. And when we miss out on that purpose, we're missing his mark. And the Bible actually says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the good news of today is, is that Jesus' resurrection is that he gives us this hope that there is new life in him. And Jesus doesn't just come to give us a happier life or an improved life, but literally he came to give us a brand new life. He doesn't want us just to put another piece of tape. He doesn't want us to just layer himself over all the other things. What he wants to do is give us a whole new life to put on. Just like I needed a new handle 
to put on that door. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this is what he says. This means that anyone, and, and that word anyone refers to anyone. I mean, it's from soccer moms to CEOs, from addicts to people that have got it going on. It's for Steelers fans. It's for Cowboys fans. It's for Bills fans. It's probably not for Dolphins fans, but I, I, it does say anyone, so... We'll give it up for the Dolphins fan. I'm sorry. Like, like you got to really trust God for that. Uh, it says, anyone who belongs to Christ. He's saying anyone who has faith and belief in Jesus and follows and adheres to his teachings. It says anyone who belongs to Christ becomes a new person. Not just a better person. Not just an improved person. But the Bible says you are a new person. It says the old is gone. That means all of your old habits, your old hang-ups, your old life, your old mistakes. All that stuff is gone. A new life has begun. And this is a new life that's filled with forgiveness. It's a new life that is filled with grace. It's a new life that's filled with mercy. And, and, and the Bible says that we can have that because of the sacrificial death that we celebrate on Easter that Jesus had, where he died, spent three days in hell, defeating death in the grave, and rose again so that we could have life and we could have it more abundantly, so that we could have God's spirit living and dwelling within us, so that we could live on purpose and for a purpose and with a purpose in him. And so what that means is that tomorrow when you go to work and you're having a bad day and things aren't going real well, like your attitude isn't determined by your circumstances. Your attitude is determined by who you are in Christ, that you are a new creation and that the old has passed away. And so you don't have to live for those things because you got something more to live for. You got some purpose. You got some intentionality. You got some destiny. And, and your intention and your purpose and your destiny is to simply love God and to live fully in him and to love other people in the midst of it. It's not real complicated. And see, when you trust God in faith and become a new person, what that means for all of us is it means that our past sin doesn't have to define us. It means that uh, your past doesn't disqualify you. It means that even while you have all that junk that has happened in your life, that there is a God that is bigger, that is stronger, that is greater than anything that you may face or have faced in your life. And what happens is you get to live with this greater sense of purpose, that you're not the sum total of all of your mistakes, and you're not what others have said about you, and, you're not, and all of your past mistakes are not fatal, but God has still got a purpose, and he has still got a plan. And when you find Christ and are a new creation in him, you're free from all those things, and you can live with intentionality. And listen, that doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect, and you need to hear this. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have difficulties and sufferings and trials in life. What it does mean is that in the midst of those things, you are not alone. And see, when I began to realize that the whole message of Jesus was about receiving a new life and experiencing a new life, Easter didn't say this thing that I had to do. It became this thing that I got to do, not just on Sunday morning on Easter, but on every single day of my life. I got to experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And I got to experience new life 
and the power of his resurrection resurrecting in me every single day. And so we can experience new life. What we can also experience and live with is a new hope. We can live with new hope. Now, I've found that you can tell a lot about people by uh, what they make their priorities as in life, what their to-do lists are. And so I found some to-do lists of some kids. And and so I just thought I'd show you a couple of these to-do lists. This is one kid's to-do list. He says, my to-do list is get $100, find a servant, and then do nothing. That sounds like a pretty awesome plan. I, I, I really like this other kid's to-do list. He says, what are three things you want to do in the future? He says, get a girlfriend, kiss her, rule the world. <laughs> I think that that right there is probably every guy's life plan right there. Like if, if we could put it down to three words there or three, three things, there it is. The last one, I, I love this one. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be Michael Jordan when I grow up. What do you need to do to, to achieve your dreams? Get bigger shave my head, and be black. <laughs> I think all of us wanted to be like Mike at some point in our lives, and so we, we had that to-do list. But I mean, think about it. We all have hopes. We all have dreams. We all have some aspirations in life, but as we get a little bit older, those dreams seem to hit the, the ceiling of reality at times, don't they? And, and it becomes a little bit more difficult. Because a lot of us, man, we have these hopes. We hope that our family will turn out a certain way. We hope that our kids will act like this. We hope that our career will end up here. We hope that our finances will be this. We hope to someday have a relationship. We hope to have these kinds of friends. And then we hit the realities of life. In fact, I, I, I saw this bumper sticker one day, and it says, I used to have a handle on life, but then it broke. And for a lot of us, that's what our life, like growing up, like, man, we felt like we had it all under control, and then reality set in, and it feels like, man, it's been broke. And I think that we all understand that the Easter means that we can have hope no matter what our circumstances are, and no matter what our challenges are that we're facing, because we are not alone. We have this hope called Jesus. And what's interesting is is that the word hope is used 71 times in the New Testament. That's the, the back portion of Scripture in the Bible. It's used 71 times. And out of those 71 times, 70 of those times are used after the resurrection of Jesus. And so what does that mean for us? It means that the resurrection of Jesus should give us all hope. See, there was no hope until Jesus resurrected. And once Jesus resurrected, we have hope in life. In fact, those ladies, they came back and to the disciples and they said, man, he isn't there. He's risen. And the disciples, naturally, they thought that that was absurd. They're like, that's, that's crazy. In fact, if you read in Luke chapter 24, verses 11 and 12, this is what it says. It says, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men. That's God's right there. And they're like, they just thought that it was crazy. So they didn't believe. They didn't believe it then. Just like today, when we hear somebody was risen from the dead, we're like, man, that's like, that sounds as absurd today as it did back then. Like, we would all be like, what? And so, 
However, it says, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. And so here we have Peter. He goes and he checks this out for himself and he investigates it. And he gets, gets there, looks in and realizes tomb's empty. That's crazy. And he's, as he's, he's walking back, he's just pondering. He's wondering like what's happened. And what's really interesting is, is that you'll find, if you were to study the history of Peter, Peter ends up dying for Jesus. He ends up coming to this conclusion that, that the resurrection was real and Jesus is alive and ends up giving his life for it. You know, people will give up their life and die for something they believe in. Very few people will die for something they believe is a lie in their life. And if you were to read Peter's story, I mean, he ends up actually being crucified just like Jesus. And because he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus, they actually crucified him upside down. And this is somebody who investigated and questioned and looked, and he doubted initially. But when he came to faith, he was clear and concise and absolute and resolute and lived with that faith until he passed away. Reminds me of a guy that I met when I was 22. His name was Lee Strobel. And Lee Strobel was a Yale-educated lawyer and uh, eventually became an award-winning journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And he, he was doing all kinds of things. And one day, his wife ended up giving her life to Christ. And this really just kind of messed with Lee because he had been an atheist all of his life. He didn't believe. He thought Jesus, this whole resurrection deal was a myth. And so uh, in order to try to convince his wife that this was a bunch of baloney, he decided he would do like what he would do with any, any trial or any newspaper article that he was writing is he would go investigate it. And so for over 600 days, he investigated the case for Christ. And he spent thousands upon thousands of hours investigating the claims of Christ. And this is the conclusion he came to. In November of 1981, he wrote this. My legend thesis, to which I had doggedly, doggedly clung to for so many years, had been thoroughly dismantled. What's more, my journalistic skepticism toward the supernatural had melted in light of the breathtaking historical evidence that the resurrection of Jesus was a real historical event. In fact, my mind could not conjure up a single explanation that fit the evidence of history, nearly as well as the conclusion that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the one and only Son of God. The atheism I had embraced for so long buckled under the weight of this historical truth. It was a stunning and radical outcome, certainly not what I had anticipated when I embarked on this investigative process. But it was my opinion that the decision, that it was a decision compelled by the facts. He says, man, at the end of the day, it was a decision. This decision that Jesus was who he claimed to be was a decision that was compelled by the facts. And friends, I want you to know here today that if you struggle with doubt, if you struggle in faith, believing that the resurrection of Jesus is real and authentic and true, that you're welcome here. You're welcome in our church to, to search out your doubts and be honest about those doubts because 
if I'm honest, there's, there's still things that I'm figuring out in my life. Like, we don't have it all figured out at this church, in case you haven't figured that out yet. Um, like, like, we're jacked up and messed up. Like, and if you know me, you know that's true. But here's the cool thing, is that we can explore those doubts. We can explore those things together and, and figure it out and come to the conclusion that is going to help you in your journey of faith. And I think if you're willing to be open in your faith, and I would encourage you to be open about your doubts, and I would even encourage you to be willing to doubt your doubts a little bit and say, God, man, if you're really real and you're really authentic, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open myself up to, to put some trust in you, even though I, I might doubt some and explore what faith is all about and see what you want to do in my life. And here's what I believe. You have nothing to lose in that decision and everything to gain. Seriously, you have nothing to lose in, in exploring your doubts, but you do have everything to gain in exploring your doubts. Because listen, we aren't getting any younger in here. Anybody notice that? Like we're all aging. In fact, not too long ago, I went to the chiropractor and, and I was telling him all these, all these pains in my hips and my shoulders and all this stuff. And, and he just looked at me and he goes, man, Mr. McCormick, that's what happens to people your age. And I was like, what? You better back that junk back up. Like I'm 37 years old. My age, I ought to smack you. <laughs> but seriously, we're not getting any younger. And I would suggest that now is the best time to explore the resurrection truth of Jesus Christ, that he can give you a new life and a new hope. Not just for today, but for eternity. So that you realize that this life isn't all that there is to life, that there's more to the story than this life. Like there's another life beyond this, it's called eternity. In fact, Jesus talks about it. How do you experience eternity? And in John eleven twenty five 25 and 26, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. So there's like life after this life. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. That's the qualifier right there. If you want to experience life after this life, the way you do that is by believing in him. And then he says, do you believe this? And friends, that's the Easter question today. Do you believe this? And I believe that this is a question Jesus is going to ask all of us at some point. And listen, nobody can answer this question for you. I can't answer this question for you. Your mom and your dad can't answer this question for you. Your friends can't answer this question for you. Your, your neighbor that's sitting next to you today can't answer this question for you. You are the only one that can answer this question. And the question is, is do you believe? And if you do believe, he says, you'll... You will never die, and you will live with purpose and intentionality and peace and joy for all eternity. And so the question is, is, do you believe? And I want you to take a look at a family that wrestled with this very question in their life. Take a look at the screen. My name is Phil Hall, and my wife, Roxanne Hall. We live here in Pompano Beach, and we've been living here together in for five years now in Pompano Beach. 
So when I was growing up, um, we didn't have any religion in the house. Um, we had Christmas and we had Easter, but it was a completely non-religious holiday. It was presents and a tree. So I taught my kids nothing. They've never heard anything about Jesus or God, and, and again, we sort of laughed about it. Growing up, I didn't have any idea of who God was. I didn't know anything about any type of religion. I didn't even know who Adam and Eve were until I was in ninth grade. My dad was bipolar, and he, he was really extreme, so we would move a lot almost every other year. Um, and it was hard for me to, to make friends and, and keep them for a long time. Um, then we moved to Oviedo, um, near Orlando. It was awesome, but I didn't know it was like the hardest, I think, between my mom and my dad. They were fighting a lot. It was just, it was always up and down. She didn't realize the extent of it at the time. She thought, well, this is dad, and you know, oh, he might have a few drinks at dinner. And, and I later found out a few drinks at dinner, plus pills, plus this, plus that, was a lot, was a lot with children. So in 2009, I um, separated from my husband of 15 years, and Bill and I, we met and we got married in 2011. But during the ceremony and, and in the planning stages, um, family members were helping, and of course I wouldn't have a wedding in a church. That was just against my nature and what I've been told. And even in the actual vows, um, I had every reference of God taken out. So when Violet was in ninth grade, her father and I were sharing every weekend, and they had a regular schedule where he would come like a Thursday night, <clears throat> they'd do it a little overnight, dinner and I'd pick him up the next morning and take her to school and we did this for a few months and um, one Thursday he just didn't come and we couldn't reach him so I was where are you you know we're calling him she's calling him family members were starting to reach out she's on Facebook you know can anyone reach him because she started to have a really bad feeling and we find out the next morning he's overdosed um, on oxycodone and other prescription medications I mean just like that gone and I remember telling her right here in the living room, and she hit the floor, and no mommy, no mommy, no mommy, no mommy, and that image was, it, it's, it, it's forever. That image was rough. In the months following my dad's death, I just felt like my world was just crashing down. I felt lost, I was like searching for something. I didn't know, know what that was. I just felt like I was missing something. Um, and I was also missing my dad too, but just, I couldn't find that happiness that I think I, I once had when I was younger, and I didn't know where I would find that, so I went looking in it in the, in the, in the wrong things. Um, so I looked in like astrology for happiness, I looked at my friends for happiness, I looked at boys for happiness, and I never found that, that light. My mom tells me that I used to like sit in the car and like hum to whatever song was on when I was like one. So I guess I've always been been singing, but my dad was a musician. So he was really, really awesome at bass and guitar and um, basically any kind of instrument. But I think I got my musical abilities from him and um, he taught me everything I know. He really did. Um, just the passion. He taught me to love music. So I started playing around locally. I had a, a gig at Tijuana Flats for about a year, and I played at different places on the beach, and I was really getting out there. So one day, I was playing at um, a charity event, Relay for Life, and these guys came up to me, and they were like, hey, like you're good, and I'm like, thanks. And they said, you know, you should come check out our church. And I was like, what? Like, I don't, I don't go to church. Like, that's, that's not my thing. And, um, but, I, but I went. 
And I was like, okay, like, I guess I'll go check it out. You know, it won't hurt to go one time. If I don't like it, I never have to go again. Um, but then I liked it. <laughs> and I kept going. And then some of the guys on the worship team asked me to come audition. And I was like, okay, um, you know, can't hurt. Maybe I'll learn some, some music stuff. I, I can't, can't hurt me. She started going, and I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, well, that's good. She's trying to learn more about music. You know, any kind of learning about music is positive. So she started going, and she kept going. And then finally one day she comes home, and she says, Mom, you have to go with me to church one day. They think I have no family. And I was like, okay, that hit home. So I started considering, well, I'll go for Violet. I'll go if she's happy and she likes it and there's something in it. So when we first started coming to Coastal, um, I wasn't sure about what to expect um, or how to behave. And um, I just came open, open-minded. And each time I would come, I just reaffirmed that, you know, I feel good about this. I'm learning, I'm growing and I always felt that it was okay to come and it was safe to come and um, put all of my past out there. Hey, this is where I'm coming from. I really don't know very much about church or about the Bible or about Jesus, but um, everyone made me feel so welcome and that it was okay to come, that you don't have to believe to belong. She started slowly but surely just just meeting people and loving the music and really getting into it. And it was just so cool um, to see that in her because I was only a few months ahead of her, but I could see the changes and I could see how happy she was getting. She was so, so much happier. I think by December, I started really feeling connected and feeling like this is the right thing for me. And even though it's very hard to change coming from 40 years of being a skeptic or, or not having any relationship with God or any of that um, it's really changed everything. It's changed our entire family, it's changed Violet, it changed myself. As a man and a father you want your children to have everything in life they can possibly have and I take pride in the fact that I love my family so much more than anything and I would give them whatever I can but at the end of the day I'm just I'm just built so I can only give them so much and um, I knew the one place they would really get fulfilled would be within the church. And I'm so glad that Pilate, you know, has found God and has found Jesus because that can now fill the void that I could not fill. No matter what I wanted to give to them, um, there was n no way to give them that last part of life. And I'm so glad that she's found that. Although initially nothing changed, my house is the same, my car is the same, my kid's school is the same. Um, everything's gotten better. It, 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 you have a special feeling when you have Jesus. And everything's just changed. Happier marriage, happier children, happier family. Um, you realize what's important. Gives you a guideline, a structure on how to live your life in a happy, giving, caring way, and um, everything that I hear each Sunday really resonates for me, and I carry it through the week, and it has just opened our eyes to such a better, more beautiful life. William gets up in the morning, probably almost every day, we're going to church today, we're going to church every today, day, we're going yes, to church, not today, church. today's school, church is Sunday. You know, Tristan day. gets up and he has his purpose at church, he goes and hangs out with Ryan and all the bigger kids, he's meeting some friends there now, He's a couple of his best friends are from church, so they get together and play. I don't know where else I would go each week to put my family all in one house and have so much happiness and be able to come out afterwards and talk about it and experience things and grow as a family. And Sundays 
coastal for an hour each Sunday, and that's we love it absolutely. And it's awesome. It's just just so much happier. And um, people say that you know you need to see it to believe it, but you really don't because you can see it in in the proof of how our lives have changed.